All right, let's do this. Oh, I thought we were doing it. This is usually what we... Is there any kind of line between life and work? It's weird that you would act like there is one on your pod. There's no, there's no line here. No, I have to say that I have to say the introduction so people know it's a new show. Thinking Basketball Podcast. My name is Ben. Welcome back to another episode. That was, of course, I mean, those are the dulcet tones. The, the whispery, sultry voice from the whispery. deep south. <laughs> Some might Jay- take offense. I'm not deep south. I'm, I'm, Sorry. I'm southern adjacent and rural, but not. I'm not going to say act like I'm deep south. But, but Jay, Jay Kyle Mann from The Ringer, the, the legend, the one and only himself. I, I just want to say, for those who are more south of you geographically, the only reason I said deep south is one of the first times... I ever started talking to Kyle. He interjected. I think hot sauce came up or something. I don't know what it was, but you interjected at some point and you went, "Ben, just so you know, I'm very southern." <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. There's some country in me. I don't think there's any question about that. I grew up in a, in a valley with a river and dogs that didn't come inside, and uh, we had tobacco fields. So, you know, I didn't really. I knew I wasn't of that world, and I wasn't going to stay there. But I do appreciate it as I get older. Uh, I think the first time that we ever talked, actually, you messaged me after I made a video about the Bucks back in the fall of 2018, and I had made a point about offenses needing to have pressure release, and the the, compar- the comparison that I made was <laughs> on Valentina Hot Sauce on the opening, they have that little hole above the opening that the sauce flows out, and Giannis was playing in an offense without a hole above the spout that needed it needed it so they added so shooting is that is that hole you know i think miller light did it too remember they had the little thing you could puncture it and it would the beer would flow out of the can better am i remembering correctly you you actually have footage of the hot sauce bottle in that video is that the video where i got wildly creative with that one yeah I, i actually recorded myself uh, <laughs> dumping Valentina onto like a bowl, a Mexi bowl of some type. And <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's probably why I thought of the analogies because I was eating that shit all the time. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, what are we going to talk about today? There's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, I would like to start out by offering my professional services of comfort for your, for your loss last night. Uh, Kyle's a big Kentucky basketball fan, and they they bowed out early uh, in the NCAA tournament. But let's let's talk about the did NBA. You watch, did you watch it? I mean, no, you didn't. Okay. Well, then I, you're not going to help me. What are, what are you going to do other than tell me to not be a fan? Well, that's that was my plan. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> that's that's already gone down in smoke. Yeah. I mean, you were. You, have you shed your fandom? I've never really. I mean, like, is there any part of you? Is this bad for you to admit on 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 audio, like in any recorded form? You, on audio, I feel like my whole life is on recorded audio. Um, you're so prolific. I mean, I believe it. Everything you say, you, you slap a, you know, some SEO on it and send it out there. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point your, where. Yeah. yeah. No, I'm at the point where I try not to speak for the other eight hours of the day. I'm not recording myself. <laughs> it's really, it's, I just, I just mime with my wife now. That's how we communicate. Uh, <laughs> but what was the, about my, my fandom? That'll be on my, Patreon also, by the way, everybody. My, 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 no, my fandom is, that's, that sort of fanatical side, I think has been gone for over a decade now. But yeah, when I was younger, I was, I was nuts. All kinds of teams and sports and, 
I could really get into it. And then, but, but to, you know, where you are today, I think it actually just got to a point with me where I was like, why am I doing this to myself? I, I feel I, that every year around this time, yeah. I'm like, I, I was telling somebody else, I was like, I, I, I watch so much basketball and enjoy it immensely. Like, mm-hmm. imm- I really still enjoy watching basketball a lot. Thank God. Right. But <laughs> I, um, you start watching the team that you care about and it's just a different experience and I'll just catch myself being another person and I'll just be like, what the hell is wrong with me? Like, why yeah. am I so annoyed by this? Why do I care? And, and you're talking about giving it up. It's just, man, it's so... And there's a lot of places like this throughout the country. It's like, it's so intertwined with the fabric of the state, like the, that sport is, you know? And it's like, it's generations of... And there's just like a, like a lot of like... like a lot of community built into it too. So like giving it up, I don't even, man, I don't even know what that would look like. I can't, I honestly can't imagine it. I should give it up though. I really should. It's like, it's like drinking or smoking or something. I, I it's, it's going to kill me. I think it's similar in that way. I don't know. <laughs> well, man, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it, but <laughs> I think it's one of those things that when you're, when you're sick, you have to be sick and tired of being sick and tired to like actually organically, move off it and the thing for me that especially with this sport is I just love the sport so much that I'm still left with so much joy from team to team season to season whatever it is but there's just no longer I I had uh many years ago in in college I had a very wise counselor who told me he said I realized one day we're all just rooting for laundry and that's that's a really bizarre realization for him and at the time jerseys basically yeah exactly like like one player goes to a different team, or if you had the same team, like think of your favorite Kentucky team. Uh, I mean, for me, probably the the the, the Moo Evans team, and what was I, I just <laughs> you love always that pick that one out. You're consistent. God, that that, that one's so fun. I mean, the one? There, were, there were two of the, them. The ninety six ninety seven team is fun, but um, that but he wasn't on that. He was a transfer from Manhattan. He didn't play for that right. team. He was ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety eight, ninety nine. So you like exactly. the ninety eight, ninety nine team? I yep. think. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the team. But whatever it is, like you just think of you think of your favorite team, um, and if they were to play somewhere, if they were to put on Louisville jerseys, right? Would they would they be different basketball players? Would be they would they be less fun to watch? What if they had the exact same coach? I mean, it just gets really weird when you think about it that way. So I, I try to have you know leave myself with the joy and the fun of the sport, which is pretty much all I get to experience these days, and not much of the um, sort of, I don't know, a- accounting procedures that go on when you're trying to figure out if, quote unquote, your team was successful. I mean, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's very fun, but you can, it's you all, can go too far. Um, yeah, fandom is all, I mean, if you start to really pick it apart like that, for sure. I mean, it's <laughs> they're with us, and then the next year they might be against us, and it's like, are we rooting for these people just because the, we side with them and they are inherent? We like their character and we identify with their values and things like that, like <laughs> philosophically and ideologically we align. It's like, no, you're right. It is. It's just a shirt. And, uh, yeah. I don't know, what man. what I'm, has happened? I'm, I'm just, what has uh, happened in this podcast? Is this I, NPR? I'm, I'm basically, I, I, if I had a beanbag, I think I would lay down on it face first. That's how I felt last night. So it's, it's totally irrational. Let's move on so I don't, you know, turn into Marvin, the paranoid android on this pod. Let's talk about something more fun. Yeah. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. 
Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One of the things we, I think, had texted about at some point in the last year that we wanted to actually discuss was this idea of evaluating prospects as they come along. I'm looking at rookies right now. I'm getting ready to do my my annual tour through the rookies that, for the most part, excite me. Um, sometimes they excite me and they're really good, things like that. And I am a little bit stuck on one of them because one of the things I think about a lot these days is how how many of the great players in the league in the last few years have come along by doing it a different way, mm-hmm. right? Like, take Jokic. When he was drafted in the second round and then even showed promise early on, there weren't people going, oh, everybody else missed on Jokic because clearly he's going to be like seven-foot Larry Bird and you'll just run the whole offense through him and he'll have all these... uh really kind of like hard basket. They're not soft skills. They're hard skills, like touch, shooting, passing, all this stuff. But no one really could see that version of a of a pivot or a center man, like literally being the center of an offense like that. And yet here we are today. I think you could say the same thing about a, a number of other guys, like Steph. You can do it for Draymond defensively. So Giannis, I, would you say? Would you put, I have, would you put? I have Giannis. I have Harden. Um, I'm sure there's a few other guys we can Harden. think of. Are we talking? Are we talking about? I'm always interested in this idea of like, um, you know, paradigm shifts within the game, paradigm shifts of the way we're thinking about it. So you're talking about Jokic is a, a center who can basically handle the ball, shoot the ball, pass the ball. That was kind of the thing, that, the paradigm that, that we hadn't really seen with him. I'm just curious, line by line, the, what, the, the shifts that you see and what they are, because I'm always looking for the next one, and I'm kind of curious what what you what you think those are line by line. There, Steph obviously. High volume movement shooting. We hadn't seen anybody that was skilled enough to do that. What were the other well, ones? You said? Yeah, but I almost wonder if paradigm is the right word because, to some degree, they they come along. I think we have this. So, so the, let's take a step back. I think a lot of this comes from player comparisons and trying to put other players in a box so we can get an idea of how to wrap our heads around them. Mm-hmm. Right. So. Post-Jordan, it was really easy to see Kobe and say like, oh, he or every other player after that, from Vince Carter to Jason Richardson, to just the, the dozens and dozens of prospects that look like that. And then you have these key things to look at. Oh, he's athletic. Um, he has a high release point on his jumper. He's got good footwork. He's got lateral agility, but also can handle the ball. He's got enough core strength to finish at the rim. How's his outside shot? Can his passing come along? And then you kind of work within that framework or that archetype. And from there, you can say he's an all-star. He's an all-NBA player. Mm. He can get. He's an MVP player. And I think we do this. We do this with certain point guards. You know, is Chris Paul the next Isaiah Thomas? Is Steve Nash the next? Well, no one was saying that when he was at Santa Clara. But is Steve Nash the next John Stockton? We do this over and over and over again with players, and especially guys these days, as the game has changed an incredible amount in the last decade with the pace and space, the use of three three-point shot we still kind of look at prospects, I feel like, and say, oh, he's going to be like player A. He's a mix of player A and player B. But what I'm getting at with these other guys, Kyle, is like there was no James Harden ball before James Harden. There was no 
Steph, I think the closest for someone like Steph Curry was like Reggie Miller. Right. But Steph, Steph took it to a place and that Rick Barry way back in the day, right? That you said yeah, that there, was the inkling of it. There's a there's a lineage, yeah. There's there's a lineage of that type of player. But I think what Steph ended up doing is he took that type of player, and he didn't just expand it slightly. He turned it on its side to some degree because he went over a threshold. He said, hey, look, I'm going to be able to shoot 50% on open threes, and I'm going to take them all the time, and I'm never going to stop running. And combined with his other skills, more traditional point guard skills, like ball handling, he could play a little pick and roll, right? Really crafty finisher for a small guy. Uh, he was really quick when he was younger. Like, you combine that together, and all of a sudden you have a guy that almost breaks the way we think about basketball. I think Giannis, to some degree, is to, like... What was Giannis 10 years ago? What would he look like? Now we have a very clear picture of, oh, you can just play five out and give him the ball in the middle of the floor and use all this space. And he gets a lot of touches in transition, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's where I land on Jokic. Like, as a prospect, Jokic coming along, if you had said, what's this guy's ceiling? What's a reasonable ceiling? What's a high ceiling? What's an aggressive ceiling? I don't think anybody would have touched this because it takes into account so many different factors that in many ways we'd never seen from a player before. So when we talk about prospects, when we talk about ceilings, when we comp guys, how do we account for the fact that this seems to be happening? It feels like it's happening more than it did when the game was a little more static from like 1970 to 2005, something like that. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah. guess it was probably static for that long. So you're saying and then 06, 07 was the beginning of the pick and we roll. We started, boom, yeah, basically. yeah. Yeah. yeah, in that just in that period of time, once once we get out of the sort of dead ball era, the freedom of movement rules, the Suns came along. Teams started using the three consistently more, and we've just kind of expanded into this last five or ten years. That's where my head is at. Like, how does how does this work when we evaluate prospects? When they take Chet Holmgren, who I, I don't pretend to know too much about, yeah. but. Look at all the criticisms of him. I mean, what he if he's just... To be, it, all the criticisms seem to be sort of entrenched in... Where does he have, fit? We haven't seen, and this is, this is circling back to some of the Black Swan fallacy stuff that we talked about last time I was here. But, like, I think... Um, yeah, yeah. Chet, Chet seems like a candidate for he's breaking some of, the, some of the, the modes of thought that we had in the past that are sort of guiding our expectations or our predictions or... And I, I think what I was asking you over text was I had kind of lined up three different players, all point guards, interestingly enough, that I had been conservative, Morant, Lamelo, and uh, and Garland, actually, at, uh, that I had kind of looked at and been a little conservative with their ceilings about what I thought they were. Um, I kind of did the same thing with Jalen Green. Um I'm still I'm still pretty dug in on the Jalen Green thing, but you, um, you think you're a conservative on his ceiling? Well, I, I think I said that I thought at his peak he'd probably be in the 25 to 30 range in the league, and I See, a, that seems high to me. Oh, okay. Come yeah. after come after Ben. Good God, <laughs> the, the Jalen Green fans, man, they're vocal. You know, I'm all for loyalty, but they will they will come let you know about it. Um, I had some people tell me I was nuts. Um, but for I've being been, that for being that low, yeah, I mean, there are people out there that that, that see that skill set and they just assume that's an all star, like a, a player that can get their own shot like that and score, and they just assume they just kind of get blinders to all the other factors and they think you know. That, but that's, I, yeah, I think to some degree that's the flip side of what we're talking about and how we kind of it is on this topic, right? Because he he checks so many of these traditional boxes, but the areas that 
I'm a little less excited about or I'm more concerned about are things that seem to possibly be magnified as we go forward with the game as played. And it's like, yeah, incredible athlete, incredible bounce, um, and you can get his own shot. But decision-making, passing, shot selection, defense, like all the little stuff in between when you don't have the ball, all those things are insanely important. And if they never develop... Um, especially if your shot selection and your shot just aren't good enough to support the diet you want to have out there on the court, you know, then you're then you're never going to reach those heights. And today, you're just not, no matter how good you look. Yeah, if you're if you're the type of player, I've been kind of trying to keep an eye on this with watching younger players. Like, I definitely think that there is a ripple out thing that I like to see. If I if if I'm going to assume that somebody's going to be a superstar the implied mode of offense for them needs to be pretty pretty certain, pretty rock solid. Like, I need to see – a lot of times it's like two-point. You know, John, John Charks and I talk about this a lot on our show, that, like, your, your simple, your easy stuff. Where's your easy stuff coming from? Because the rest of your game's going to filter out from that. When I see a guy who's, like, really burning a lot of calories to live on a diet, to use your word, of, like, tough shots, tough shot creation – um, that's a tough life. Now he's like a pretty clever, elastic. I know we're launching into like a Jalen Green discussion here, but it, as it pertains to dialing in a ceiling, you know, I want I want to see like I need to know that the, the core of the thing for a superstar is is really solidified and really sure. Um, you don't see it a lot with. Um, I feel like Steph is an exa- is an odd example because he flipped that on its head. We've never seen anyone who I, I think I've t- told you this a few different times. I mean, he's the only score in like the he's in the top twenty five now, right? Is he in the top twenty five scores ever, Steph? In his total points? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think he's had enough longevity, but I I he's, don't check in on those things very often. I think he's going to get there, but I think he's going to end up probably the only player in the top 25 that has like uh, no back-to-the-basket game, basically, in his repertoire at all. Like He's probably going to be uh, the first person to hit that height. Um, but th- that's typically what I'm, one of the things I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about like a superstar score, because even if you're not big, do you, do you have the, the ability to generate fouls and things like that? So that's one area that I've been thinking about a lot. Um, he, yeah. he's, he's 47th just for the record. Wow, and I not think, even close. I thought no, he was sniffing I think it. The, yeah, no, I think the reason you thought that is because he just passed 20,000. Okay. Yeah, so he will, he will climb up. As long, as long as he stays healthy for a little while longer, he will comfortably... He's about 4,000 points away from, from 25th, which is a, you know like two seasons or something like that. So he'll, he'll, he'll get there. I think that's why you were on that track. But continue. Um, no, I mean, I, I think, I guess the conversation that we're having is just about how to figure out, because I, I, you know, with those three guards, I was pretty confident, like say, let's talk about Morant. I was pretty confident in Morant's IQ. I liked him a lot. I thought, I thought that Morant could survive as a low scoring threat. That was the thing that I underestimated with Morant was like the scoring, hmm. because when I would watch him at Murray, I'd be like, yeah, I mean, this guy's destroying the the OVC. The comparison I made that people hated was I was like, he looked to me like Rajon Rondo on an OVC team. He was just physically dominating the competition. He was so much faster. He got in the lane at will. But I saw a guy who could like had above average like pace and decision making for that type of like nuclear athlete guard. And I thought that he could play in the league at that level and probably be sub all star. Like all three of those guys, I kind of landed in that same spot of. Like you say, sub all stars. Um, Moran, I assume, was a true all star for you, right? You're, you're, he was, yeah. I say your rankings. Who were sub all stars for you this year? I'm curious. 
Um, I had Garland on the borderline. Are, are we talking about where they are this season or where I, where I how we sort of forecasted them? Because I think I was much higher on Morant than you, not at Murray, because I just don't get into scouting at that stage. But once he came into the league, it's one of those things where if you're using... It's Wait, almost were, like you, the ra- were you forecasting him after he got to the league? So were we once, judging on once, different samples? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, once he got to... I mean, I liked him at Murray, though. I, I had no problem with him being the second pick. I thought he was a, a oh, really... Oh, Yeah. I thought he was a really, really strong candidate. Um, so I, I thought he was going to be an, an all-star, you know, a strong all-star. I thought he was going to be really good. Um, and I think that idea of his athleticism translating... This should almost be. This feels like, uh, this feels like a theory someone should have had, like a like a Randy Moss corollary, or something. Where you so, just so, named it. There it is. The, the Moss so, corollary. Okay, so Randy Moss when he played at Marshall. Randy Moss, um, for those who don't watch American football, one of the all time greatest <sighs> receivers and just an unbelievable. I pity you athlete. if you don't know about Randy Moss. Come on now. Get get on the YouTube. Get on YouTube. Ma- Amazing. And so he played at Marshall, which is not like big time blue blood Texas Alabama football. And one of the concerns about him besides his off field stuff, you know, the the critics would say, okay, he's doing it at Marshall. He's doing it at this low level. And yeah, we can put you in the combine and we can get nice physical attributes and numbers on you. Just like you said, you watch Morant and you're like, okay, he's really explosive athlete, but you're doing this in the OVC. And I think for me, this applies to college, it applies to Europe, it applies to any leveling up. When you level up, it doesn't automatically mean your skill is going to be taken away by the next level. Sometimes what happens is you go to the next level and you're, what, what did we call it earlier? Your easy, your core sort of scoring. You were talking about the way someone gets their core stuff. What your, I can't remember. Your implied offense is what I always call it with superstars. Superstars have implied offense that you Just know every night they go out there like Durant's going to hit jumpers, yep. LeBron, LeBron's going to get to the rim, stuff like that. Like we yep. know it's going to happen. Okay, so that's perfect because if your baseline, if your implied offense gets taken away when you jump up a level, when you're Ben Taylor and you start playing really long college athletes and you just can't get your core offense anymore, then that value you apply on the court goes away. You have to find value somewhere else. But with a guy like Morant, I mean, that's the Randy Moss thing. That's like, it doesn't matter. It literally, I don't think matters what human beings you put in front of him. Right. So that's where the level doesn't matter because you can scale that all the way up to the top level. I was, I was more comfortable with him. Um, Garland is a guy who I actually, we were talking about this right before we recorded. I only saw, I didn't see any of his five games at Vanderbilt. I just saw your video on him Mm -hmm. and the stuff I saw from him at the very, even in the preseason at the beginning of this season, I was like, kind of blown away. I was like, wait, a, I was like, wait a second, wait a second. This guy's really good, and he's really shifty, and he can handle the ball, and his passing, and his live dribble passing, and it's like, it's like, whoa, that's a different level of offensive player in today's NBA than a guy who, you know, again, think about how we describe prospects. Like, oh, he's got some off-ball game. He's a good shooter. Can he be like a? Can he be like a light Steph Curry? You're always trying to put someone in that next archetype. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we do, we do try to follow the archetypes, and I I think with Morant specifically, what what I was having a hard time with was. I wondered about his pace in the middle of the floor because he he is so skinny. I didn't I didn't I mean I knew his athleticism was going to translate. I wasn't worried about you know when you talk about like athleticism driven offense translating to the league. A lot of the time, the stuff that doesn't translate is bully 
kind of centric stuff, maybe from players who aren't who are going to be facing like a size shift once they get to the league. Like, like Drew Timmy, is that? <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. That's a good example. I mean, a guy that plays for UK right now, Oscar Shibway, I think in terms of like physical development, he bullies people, and I wonder about him doing it. He struggled with longer athletes. We've seen it in the college level. We've seen inklings of that. For Morant, I wondered where the implied offense was going to be. I think that's the best hmm. place to start from because I was like, the shooting – was flickier and softer than maybe he got credit for. I was I was leaning to <laughs> you're smiling. Yeah, flickier. Yeah. I, nice I always man. said he had like a park jump shot. He just had a he had a he had a jump shot that looked like this one dude that played at our park in my hometown. And I was like, he just has like a towny jump shot. Like he just had this like shot that was real casual. I was unsure about it. I mean it's been a little better than I thought it would be. Um another thing with some of these smaller guards is really it, it can really hinge on and this is a discussion I think that could apply to a few different players. Uh, optimization of roster. Um, Morant is in a fantastic situation in terms of like the players that they've smartly put around him. Big, rugged, physical defenders, um, rim protection, uh, finishers, guys like that. Shooting. Those things are all heightening. I don't know what would be the what would be like the opposite um, <laughs> bad situation. He's he's not a guy that I think could easily elevate lesser athletes you know what i mean like I, I feel like he's or or is that true i don't know i'm just i'm just thinking out loud here so can we go back to chat for a second yeah let's go back to chat. <laughs> well because we're talking about offense right and we're talking about implied offense but i think to some degree that's part of why it sometimes it's hard to see a new arc to, it's hard to see the thing that you haven't seen yet obviously i mean that that i think is very intuitive but you look at someone like Chet, and I think a lot of people just go, where's the implied offense? Where's the core set of offensive skills that's going to make him really good? And if I can't see that, well, then he's got to be a great defender. Okay, but he looks really skinny, and he plays in this he plays in this league that isn't, I don't know, people now are saying he doesn't play in the Big Ten. That's confusing to me because there's a ton of NBA players in his league, and he performs very well against high majors anyway and gonzaga feels like a powerhouse high major school i wish so, gonzaga could join like the pac 10 or the pac 12 or whatever it is i know that's not going to happen or just pull a notre dame and be an independent and kind of join but the play league. i yeah. wish they would do that anyway no i think the yeah. thing about chet that you you made the point about how ben taylor his implied offense was taken away there are a few <laughs> like variables to, to and that you had to find a new identity I think there are a few variables. To oh consider. no, I didn't find. I didn't successfully find a new identity. Just to be clear, <laughs> it was horrible. My new identity was get this six six guy off me. That was my new identity. My new identity was podcasting. Uh, <laughs> I can relate to that. Now, um, I think with Chet, you were talking about like, well, okay, the next, the next iteration, the next step in the process is we circle back and we say, where else could value come from? And for Chet specifically. Um, I don't think that it's that outrageous. Like if you look at him, he's, he's basically a low waist to no waist player. He's not playing in like a, 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 you're smiling at me again. I'm not trying to give you a check scouting report, but this is a, this is an example of Sharks and I kind of said that he's like a taller Halliburton-esque type player. I don't literally mean him handling the ball in the pick and roll and like being a great connect. He will be a good connective playmaker in my opinion at the next level so there's one area you think about he's going to be a nice uh asset for like continuity of offense i see that happening i expect him to shoot it i expect him to be like a good rim protector 
Um, so he, he adds value whether or not he's a star or not. So I, I think that's what you have to kind of start doing if like the implied stuff isn't there. But anyway. How, how, about, how about this? In the old days, if someone like Chet comes along or um, what's his name? Vic, Victor Wembignana, right? You get yeah. these really tall, crazy, lanky guys. The, the thing that I think we would all do, I mean, we're talking back in dinosaur days, like the 80s and the 90s. So you would look at the big and you would go, well, what kind of post game does he have? Does he have a mid-range jumper? Does he have a hook? Does he have footwork? Does he have a fadeaway? Can he power you and get to the free throw line? But the post is essentially, for, for all intents and purposes, it's, it's gone. You know, there are still some guys that go down there and grind a little bit and have touch and whatnot, but that's not the thing you're looking at. So then the next archetype or checkbox you go to with the bigs now, which gets closer to Giannis, but it's like, okay, can he shoot? Is he really dynamic with the ball? Is he like Kevin Durant? Can he use his size and still kind of, right? And if, you, if he doesn't check any of those boxes, so then you're just like, well, Chet's, instead of going Chet's going to be a different thing, and again, I'm no expert in Chet, but I just to use, the, to use his, him as an example to make the point, instead of saying, well, let's figure out how he could be a different thing, we go, well, he's just not going to be any of those things, so we'll downgrade him in that area and call him like a, a role player, or see if he can be, use, use the term no waste, um, if, if confession time, I wasn't laughing because of like wasteful play. I thought you were talking about. You said he's a low waist player, and I had this vision of oh, a guy you, with short legs. Okay. Yeah. See, when you start smiling yeah. when I'm making a point, anyone who doesn't get, get, talk to Ben, it's unnerving when Ben Taylor starts smiling when you're making a point. I'm just like, oh, I'm saying something fucking stupid right now. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's. This is a family podcast, Kyle. Um, no, <laughs> low waisted. Uh, I'm going to have to change the sensor, uh, the the rating on this podcast with all the sailor talk. Um, NC-17, when, whenever Kyle comes on. Uh, but, but, but think about Chet this way. What, and again, we'll just stick with him for an example. What if instead of looking at all those things we just said he doesn't have, you say, well, I'm going to tell you in five years, this guy is going to be unstoppable as a short roll threat. Because he can come off the short roll and shoot. He can come off the short roll and pass. He can come off the short roll, take one dribble, dunk over everybody. Um, he makes great decisions. Is He's that an sh- area of implied offense is the question. Is that, yeah, is that, that, I is think that that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is that going to yeah. be – yeah, that's the thing. And I think that that, that that kind of lines up and tracks with the things that I wasn't thinking about with – with Morant, I mean, I think there's some of that with LaMelo, too. We're talking about skinny guys. And I think maybe the skinny guys who can really operate in, like, sequen- sequences of ball screens and make reads and be insanely creative passers. Because we know the scoring has to pair with that in order for that both of those things to level up because they work in tandem. Because if you can't yep. score, it's going to affect the types of reads that are even going to be presented to you. We know that. So I was just kind of wondering about like, okay, is Morant, is Morant going to get bullied in ball screens, things like that? We know now that he can get in the middle of the floor. He has a great floater game. He's a good finisher. The the playoff thing, I think we don't have a big enough sample for that to like analyze what his playoff life is going to be like. That discussion is going to evolve, I feel like. But the Chet thing, if we're looking at like a new area of the game, Who's the most dominant short role player? I mean, like we know Draymond is like the cliche thing he's to say now. Just the passer. He's but just, he's a, just passer. a passer. Have we, yeah. Who's the most dominant short role scorer, really? Because if you're a scorer in that vicinity these days, it's kind of like you're popping. So, and and I expect Chet to be able to pop, but he's such a good passer. 
I mean, I have I have people who who know who who are in our NBA people who tell me that they think he's the smartest player in the class and an excellent passer. So we expect you'd want him to be down there. I don't the know. Best, do we do we think that's an avenue for implied offense, Ben? I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But is it a frontier? I mean, this, yeah, that's a better word for this whole conversation is a frontier because I think. Even just if the game, as as more threes come in, maybe there's more movement players. Um, this came up recently, I think, on on one of our episodes, where the idea of spot up shooters is just yeah, it was when we were talking about best three point shooters in the league right now. Um, Cody and I were noting that like the spot up sh- the Jason Capono archetype, it just doesn't exist. Uh, Steve Novak's of the world, they just don't even come along because, with the exception of PJ Tucker's corner threes, and he's really on the court to play defense. If you're one of those guys now, you need to move. You need to have some sort of more dynamicism to your skill set than just stand in the corner and shoot threes. And so maybe if we have more movement, more shooting, all this short roll stuff is amplified, maybe your elbow offense is amplified. Um, again, back to Draymond, but there's a ton of other teams in the league, Bam Adebayo in Miami, players like that, who... If you are at the elbow and you're a great passer and you can let stuff unfold with movement, but you also have some ability to score yourself, and I think here's the key one that Draymond lacks, and you can shoot, then then the synergy between those two forces is really, really powerful. And that might look like something that's a little different than what we certainly different from the 90s post-up centers, right? But it might look different than what we think of today when we think of great offensive players, just like seven years ago, how it was really hard to see. Oh, yeah, that Jokic guy with his if he gets his touch and he gets his shooting up, he'll be like one of the best offensive players ever. Just trust me. That second round pick. That's funny, because honestly, the most dominant short roll player in the NBA is probably Jokic. Like if you think about if you think about the players who can like dominate with the playmaking decisions and process the game at a high level, if you think about a guy who can. We love to call it like wheel into post ups. I love guys that can wheel into post. I, I just it's just like it's candy. Wheel, for me. wheel right in there. Just, just wheel get- into it. I just love anybody that can like that can give you a little bit of dribble move. That's why I was trying to sell David Roddy to you for the Colorado State guy. I was like, oh, watch this guy. He would dribble up and like make him like make a move and then go into a post up. I mean, that's a body type. He's a little small to be playing that way, but Roddy. But. Um, I mean, it's probably Jokic, though. And you think about a guy who can like make that shot, too. Uh, and, but then we're just talking about sinners, I guess. It, well, I got another one. Yeah. Because I, ju- I just did a video on him. LeBron James on the short roll. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, especially, especially when he was younger. But just the combination of passing and his own scoring, uh, one dribble, big power hop, obviously big bodies, athletic bodies, bigs that have little floaters. I feel like Bam has a floater, but it's not that good. Yeah. He, do you, do you buy Bam that? If could just shoot a little bit better. Yeah. He, yeah. He, he's so good in the, in the, in the short roll, though. And th- with those, I've said it a hundred times, I totally whiffed on that skill set with him, but definitely. And as a screen setter. Sabonis, similar thing. I mean, if he could just shoot it a little bit better. There's something about the cross-section between those physical traits, like great screener, you know, you having that, like, strong, sturdy lower body and then also having touch, for some reason it just filters so many guys out. You just don't. It's a, well, then you got to – yeah, then you add the passing component. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, hard to have – it's hard to have it all, Ben. But, but think about it, Kyle. If we were sitting here, like – 10 or 12 years ago talking about prospects with like the importance of the short role for big I mean it just wasn't really a thing 
And so because we can't see that going forward, I'm not saying it's more likely that the top 10 players in 2029 or whatever, 2028, are filled with guys who were just like breaking new new frontiers. But I do think it's likely that there's going to be a couple more in there. When we look at these top 10 guys, you might have some that already fit these more traditional molds. And it's how, how does that influence how we talk about prospects? And especially when we comp them and we think about, you know, this guy's reasonable ceiling, this guy's floor. Uh, it's wild to me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Me. Well, one one interesting one that I, I I was curious to pick your brain about this in particular because, like I've said, the conversations that we have about the draft, um, you you always have a way of giving me insight that I feel like helps. But in terms of like trends in the league, you know, because I I had observed that in this rookie thing that I wrote not too long ago, this rookie notebook I wrote for the Ringer that you can still go find. Uh, it had a section where I was talking about. Um, I felt like the entire league saw the Harden Maury kind of thing that went on with the Rockets, and they saw the guy you talked about Harden as a guy that being someone that we didn't expect him to do what he did. Like we didn't expect him to go into that into to spamming that that pick and roll and isolation thing for fouls and things like that. Um, with the step then, back, step yeah. back, and no and no mid range. Yeah, and right. If if you can remember your thought, I just want to interject for maybe a younger audience. You. Yeah. That sorry, that archetype of like a six four, six five shooting guard in the nineties, in the two thousands, definitely in the eighties and seventies, you had to kind of get to the high release point and get your shot up in the mid range over people in a lot of traffic. And it was from from the lineage of George Gervin to Kevin Durant to Jordan to Vince Carter. Um, I mean, we've you and I have talked about this privately. Like that's how I was taught to play, and you just I hope still to, play that way. You just hope to grow to be tall enough. It's really horrible in retrospect. And going backwards to use space or going sideways or just in the case of Harden, kind of bypassing the mid range ultimately altogether. Uh, these were things that j I just don't it would be fascinating to go back and look at all the draft stuff written about that draft. But I don't think this was on anyone's radar. So uh, keep keep going. Just color yeah. on that point. I mean, like, yeah, young, healthy James Harden was like a like a Manu-esque, like explosive secondary playmaker which i yep. still love him in that mold i wish i was bemoaning that the other day i wish he would just get back in crazy shape and bring the mohawk back and just turn into that guy again anyway he's still a good player but um we were talking about i noticed a trend happening where we were really chasing the heliocentric thinking there for a little bit of getting in the middle of the floor and foul generation and things like that and, and heavy pick and roll and heavy iso and then we and then Luca comes along and we think it started to seem like I don't know if everybody was thinking this way, but I was when I was watching. I was like, we got to find players that can fit this mold because if you can find a big guard who can who can create their own offense and play with pace, and get in the middle of the floor, that seemed like I mean the best offenses in the NBA were driven by those players. So it was like, okay, let's keep trying to find these things. So 2019 rolls around, so I'm watching. Uh, 
you know, I'm watching some summer basketball, some UYBL, some high school, the, you know, the U19 team for Team USA, and Cade Cunningham comes along. And Cade Cunningham is six. We thought he was 6'8". We got sold a bill of goods with that one. It was just like, he's probably 6'6", but built body of a tight end, son of a quarterback, plays with crazy pace. He can go down there and bully people. He can hit pull-up jumpers. He can get in the middle of the floor, move the defense with his eyes. And I thought, okay, here we go. This is the next dude in this mold. Thought for sure it was going to happen. Goes to Oklahoma State. Efficiency struggles a little bit. Uh, shoots pretty well, uh, but it's not what we were hoping. Gets to the NBA. My thought process has shifted a little bit on him, and I'm teeing this up for you uh, because he's not that. Like once, I think towards the end of his Oklahoma State tenure, I was <laughs> tenure is a, is a generous word to <laughs> his use three for months. eight yeah. months <laughs> of time at a school. But uh, I started to get the feel that he was something else, and I'm teeing this up for you in terms of uh, where you are, because you said that you wanted to talk about him, so go ahead. No, I, I didn't. I said the exact opposite. I said, I don't want to talk about this on air, but I'm, I'm happy to. Wait, um, wait, no, no, you can cut this. I thought you wanted to ask, so we don't want to talk about Kate on No, I want to talk about it. I don't cut anything when you come on this show. Everyone deserves to hear the real, raw truth between us, and... Cade, um, I don't mind talking about it. Just, Cade. just working my way through Cade, and I don't know what to do with him, and I don't know what to do with him because of this exact conversation we're having to some degree where I feel like he is a player who probably his coaches and most importantly himself, uh, and definitely I think analysts and prognosticators, view him as this type of player. This The big, one that I just named? The, yes, the oversized creator, the heliocentric engine. The, um, I mean, even if he's only six six or whatever, barefoot, that's still a big playmaker. And that guy is kind of like the quarterback of the modern offense. It's the it's the large version of Trey Young, if you will. It's the small version of Luka Doncic. That guy's huge. Yeah, uh, that guy's so huge. He tells NBA players every day that he they're too small. It's, <laughs> it's like his go to trash talking move. Um, but what to do with this guy when, frankly, I don't, I'm not confident at this point that he can play that way and be a championship level kind of quarterback. And I would imagine since that role takes up so many opportunities from everybody else, it sucks up all the oxygen in the room. If you're LeBron or going back to Magic Johnson and you have the ball in your hands all the time, that's great. That's, that's not a problem, right? That's fantastic. But when you're not nearly as good as the role, then I'm trying to figure out what you're going to be. It's almost like the new version of the volume scorer who isn't actually that efficient as a volume scorer, and oh. they still demand high usage and touch. Do you like that? I just Ouch. that just popped into my head. No, it hurts. <laughs> That's a hole you just po- you just poked. That you, I felt like you poked a hole in me when you said that. I don't. My my. Um, I want to pull this up really quick because I'm curious just to compare. I'm going to pull up touches. Well, well, while you're pulling that up, I just, I've been working through this Cade Cunningham video for a while, and and I will do this. I will wait as long as possible to look at statistics. I will try to I do pick up too. trends. Yeah, I'll try to pick up trends and think about what things I want to look at and what questions organically arise. But sometime, somehow I got farther than ever, and I went and looked at his efficiency, and with rookies especially, Kyle... One of the huge things I look for is an upward trend at the end of the season. 
Mm-hmm. You know, kind of what happens when they get over the little rookie wall, they get some reps, they start to get their feet wet in the NBA, and they're young enough that coming in in October is a big difference physically sometimes than where you are in March or April. And Cunningham's true shooting percentage has actually gone down. and From win and, to win. Oh, for the, just look at the trends from the whole season. It was It was slightly higher in the first half of the season than it was in the second half of the season. Interesting. And then, this is the crazy part, he's under 50%. He's like, it's like 49% true shooting in the last two months or something, three months or something like that. Those are, those are concerning numbers. And I think the overall package is good enough and there's enough there that I'm like, okay, I still kind of like him as a player, but those two things are where I'm stuck, where that's a really scary indicator for a rookie. The not upward, especially a guy who I think one of the selling points for him is that he grows and learns and adapts and kind of can pick up new rote skills that he get, you know, when he goes from one spot to the next, um, playing different roles. And I think that's a skill that he does have. But you have that, and then you have the thing where it's like, if he's playing in this archetype that everyone seems to want to put him in, but he's not good enough to be championship level in that archetype, what does that mean? Well, who's at fault, I guess? Is the player at fault for not fitting uh, or living up to the archetype that uh, when we compare him against the archetype? Is, is he at fault there, or are we at fault for picking the wrong archetype? And also the people, <laughs> you're rolling your eyes, but I mean, that's I don't know. not a no. that, no, no, I don't know. That's not that's a cop out. I mean, he it's was the blame game. I don't know. He was drafted number one, and I think that you know expectations come with that. We expect you to be at least a good player. Now, in terms of every draft's different. I don't know. Is is there a superstar level player in this draft? I think there are a lot of really good players in this draft, and I still think that he could be. Mobley would be hard to. I know Mobley's your guy. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna tread those those waters. But yeah, I mean, yeah, he's had some inconsistency shooting the ball. I mean, he had he had a pretty rough stretch there in. Uh, let's see, I had the month pulled up. Uh, February was pretty bad. Twenty two point six on four point four attempts, but and then just that's four. for that's for three. Yeah, and then and yeah. then four. Yeah, that'll pull your number down overall but he wasn't shooting he's been shooting more in march actually in the numbers up he's always been a little bit of a streaky shooter and i think this all kind of ties to what we're talking about here though is that his touches were i had that pulled up 76.7 so he's touching the ball about as much as steph curry now we know steph is like an on and off on and off type player i don't think that he's going to be like a heavily and on type player like on ball i think that he's probably going to be someone who's going to like fluidly go on and off ball a lot in in an ideal situation in my opinion because i don't think he can score efficiently enough to your point to justify it which to your point also yeah no that this goes back to the question about blame loan while i was rolling my eyes one both philosophically i don't i don't know what to do with that i mean there's a there's a whole bag of worms i don't want to open up but the other part is when i look at him without all those ideas in all of our heads including his including his coaches including his developmental coaches i see a guy that probably looks and this is just me being influenced by watching so much historical basketball in the old days this would be like a hybrid guy. This would be like a guy who does a little on ball, does a little off ball. And therefore, as he gets older, the things he probably focuses on are his defense, which is a side of him I think is very promising. Oh, yeah. 
his passing, his extra passing, something like, oh, I'm going to specialize my, you know, I'm going to work on my corner three. So it's really good, whatever it is. Uh, way back in the day, he would, because of his size, maybe if he got smaller guards on him, you'd see someone like that add like a hook by the time he's in his eighth year. Oh, or he something. has a hook. This is a, th- something I would want to talk about, but go ahead. Yeah. No, I wasn't saying he doesn't have a hook. I'm, no, I'm, I'm just saying like this is this is the pathway, right? This is the way. Uh, yeah, yeah. Whereas whereas now I just maybe wrongly assume that it's especially because he's a number one pick, it's going to be harder for him to fill into that role. And again, this is this is just where my mind is. I mean, obviously. Um, I think we're still talking about a very good player, but if you're a Pistons fan, the question is like, anytime you get a number one pick and anytime you get a guy who has that much promise, I think you're usually looking through the lens of an MVP. Like, that's what you hope, right? You're hoping you get you an hope. MVP. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's where I, I don't know what to... F- I, I, I just have a hard time. I don't remember kind of getting stuck this long on a rookie vacillating back and forth between like... Oh no no he's gonna be he's like a ten time all star no 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 I don't know what's gonna happen like like he's gonna make one all star game and I'm gonna feel weird about it like I, I I don't know what's going on I put his ceiling in the like ten to fifteen range that was where I originally had him I don't I don't think I ever really thought of him as like an NBA I think I think what we're talking about that has come off the table is like absolute floor raiser no question like he's gonna be a floor raiser I I don't think that's I've come away from that recently and I think one of the evolutions that I well I wanted to add on there too is that the the bully ball game thing is in his game and I don't really know why he's gone away from that because he has a huge frame like if you look at him he could I think he should lean into that because I think that he has the body of a wing and he's like trying to be like a slender attacker type I think he should just lean into being a big bodied guy who just bullies people like get in the middle of the floor because I've always I've always made the point that I feel like his skill set really starts to like bubble up and show itself when he slows the game down and like if he gets bigger and plays bigger and gets in the middle of the floor he's good at moving people creating corner threes get to the rim get easy offense I'd like to see him go that direction as opposed to being like a like cut you up type like attacker in that way like play more play more the physical slow it down kind of style um but uh oh oh well the transition that i've kind of witnessed though is i i feel like we've seen a shift towards players like this now we've talked a lot in recent years about like okay if you have a spot up guy can you slide him over and can he run some some pick and roll reps for you and things like that i feel like Cade is sort of a hybrid that leans towards primary but he's not like a full primary that's kind of where i've landed with him yeah no that i I get that i get that um you mentioned something else interesting about whether there are really high impact players in this draft let's leave aside sort of the big names who are contending for rookie of the year this season i mean i just wonder about guys coming along again playing almost a little differently than what we've, what we've seen and what we expect. And then in three, four, five years, they grow into that. I'll go back to the guys I mentioned. Um, I had written down Harden, Steph, Jokic, Giannis, Draymond. None of those guys, I mean, Curry was really good right away, but it, so was Harden pretty much. But none of those guys, even in their first, second, third year, looked like sort of the thing that's making us talk about them today almost a decade later right Harden or not Harden uh Draymond really is one of the more unique cases in history in terms of his skill set number one like would he he was just 
witness to a paradigm shift, like we talked about, in the league, driven by a player, driven by a couple players, really, and then driven by a coach that came in and, a, and an offensive sort of overhaul that we've both talked about here and there, just about the way the Warriors decided to play. Yeah, I mean, like Draymond, who knows if his career had continued on the arc that it was on, if he had not been with the players that he was with or in the situation that he was with. Now, how much of a shift, how much credit does he have coming his way for seeing the shift coming and recognizing how he needed to adjust his game? I think that's something else that needs to factor in too. Yeah, go ahead. How, like, like my take on that personally or just in general? Because I, I think I'm he here deserves, for your take. Yeah, man, I think he deserves a ton of credit. Um because he's a four-year player at Michigan State. He's a good college. He's a really good college player. And he was a... I think his best skill as a college player was probably kind of his passing and floor tempo direction decision-making. That's what stood out to me as he got... You know, I think as a freshman, he didn't play that much. But as an upperclassman, um, you know, on those Izzo teams, that's what stood out to me. And then to see him and hear him talk about it and to go back and study it, to see him come in and basically just understand like, okay, I got to get in better shape. I got I to gotta play differently. I go back to your no waste idea on offense. I got to focus on these things with the guys around me because I am a good passer. I am a good decision maker. I play in that old school Bill Russell style of like just whatever the heck it takes to win. Who cares about stats? And then the huge thing, of course, for him was he's talked about this. I have it in my video from earlier this season where he recognized pretty quickly if he wanted to get on the floor and stay on the floor, he needed to be a dominant team defender. Yeah. He, need, he needed to use his length of his arms and the quickness of his feet and his body frame and the combination of those two things to excel defensively. And I think about this stuff when um, I don't want to we don't have to rehash it. But like when people were saying Zion is the next Dray Draymond or everyone is the next Draymond. The big thing I actually look at is how I think they're able to read the game. And he was a really good passer and decision maker on offense at Michigan State. So. That's that's not like a, a one-sided, he can only be the offensive coordinator thing, right? I think that translates to defense. So I, I give him, yeah, I give him a ton of credit. But what, what do you think? Uh, I agree. I mean, it's, <laughs> there's, there's a, if you're talking about shifts that are interesting, I mean, the fact that he was witness to, to this, I guess there, there have been like remnants of it. If you don't have like a dominant downhill orchestrator, like a... Uh, We'll say a Luca. Well, we'll, just somebody who is such a dominant score that the entire defense can be looking at them, and you can say, "Here it comes," and they still can't do anything about it. Not every team's going to have the opportunity to do that. I'm I'm thinking back about like offenses in the past that would be, you know, you have a pretty good like medium post score, low post score, and then and then the the movement of your smaller players happens when the ball is in the big's hand. I mean, I know we saw that with like Utah. Kerr even talked about that, how annoying it was to defend. And then the Warriors just take that and ramp it up to, you know, 14 um, on a scale of 1 to 10, that is. Uh, <laughs> and Draymond was there. And I guess I'm trying to just dial in how much credit or how much of a pioneer he was because we have seen a movement going back to talking about like these elbow creator guys, these like connective playmaker types, the Sabonises, the, the Draymonds, the Bam Autobios. 
it's not a new thing really, right? I mean, there's some version of that has always existed in terms of like going to the high post and having off ball movement. You're the history, you're the historical expert here. I mean, where, where are the earliest versions of that? Where we, cause you even talked about like weaponizing ball movement didn't really, I mean, we saw it earlier with Rick Barry who, I mean, that lineage, I'm just trying to dial in here, how it's not radically new, even though it seems like it was compared to the basketball that we saw from, like you were talking about, from the 70s up to like 2005. Yeah. Well, we have to be careful, though, to to make the distinction between the individual guy who's kind of running, the Ray Allen running around, catch and shoot, versus movement concepts and X's and O's in offense. Because what cracks me up is a lot of the stuff that, goes out of vogue and then comes back in vogue in today's game are really old sets. You know, you see, uh, I think of the Princeton offense sometimes. I think that's one of the most fascinating offenses to study from an X's and O's standpoint because no one really runs the Princeton Princeton offense, but like a ton of concepts from the Princeton offense are run everywhere at every level because they're really effective. And this is, this is, like, what is it, 2022? I mean, we're talking 60 years old at at minimum. We're talking about this stuff. And yeah. um, there's like, you know, videos of Pete Carrill talking about it till he's blue in the face. But uh, Tex Winter with the triangle offense. These these are really old ideas. And, and when I think of the Warriors and movement and elbow situations and like waiting for two or three men to come off each other, I mean... In the 60s, a ton of teams ran these split cuts, man. The 60s and the 70s, you had Bill Walton, high post elbow offense with like other guys running around trying to get open. And and these were really popular offenses. They just didn't have a three-point shot. Mm-hmm. And so as the 80s came along and expansion and economics and all this stuff changed, you started to get the the early signs of heliocentrism. You started to get different. You, know, you had more low post stuff. You had these ex- Grant Hill, Vince Carter come in the league, Allen Iverson, ball handling opens up and you focus more on those individual perimeter players as offensive superstars. But I think a lot of the stuff we're seeing today is just going back to like the 60s and 70s when they had things figured out about movement. And Isn't the crazy- it hilarious? It is, it's hilarious how I, I always think about it. It's like there are only so many notes in the scales. There, right, are, there right. are only so many combinations. I had that one of my roommates in college was a jazz major, and he was just like, there are only so, so many notes. That's what he was saying. It's like there are only so many combinations. And then past that, it becomes about the people playing them. Like that's where the texture comes from. Like the, the core ideas, uh, they're, they're limited. There are only so many ways to put words together. Um, I interrupted you, but go, go ahead. No, the, the, the only last thing I was going to add is the craziest thing to me, someone who was not a great deep historian of the sort of first half of the 20th century, is that I have seen and do know that some of these things that were popular in the 60s and 70s were pulled from coaches who had been around since like the 40s. And there were like dudes in the 30s and 40s before even the game was, there's no shot clock. They were, they were thinking about this stuff. They were, they were like, okay, here's what you got to do. Stand at the top and like have people run crossing routes around each other. Like this has been here for a long time. Um, it's just amplified now because of the skill and the three-point shooting. And so... We got on a sidetrack. We got on one of my classic historical rants, well, the, but the the other thing, too, <laughs> no, no, it's like everything. It, it's not. It's just. Fun. It is really funny uh, how we act like these things are new. I made this point on a show the other day um, about how uh, everybody went crazy about curved TVs. You remember that? Remember when, like cur- like you got to have a TV that's curved, man. Get with the future. All right, bro. Uh, it, you don't remember this movement? Cur- like, curve like 
curved like this? Like concave. Yeah, like curved. Yeah, concave. Yeah, yeah like you got to have it wrap around your face, bro. It's like right. the total yeah. experience. I don't know who this like TV surfer, TV salesman person is. He doesn't really exist. It's a Simpsons character. It's, yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, so but I remember I was like cleaning out something with like at my grandmother's house and I went upstairs and she had a TV that was like from the 60s or 70s and it was like curved. It was literally curved. And I was we just have a short memory, I guess is my point. And and you and it, it even goes back to something you and I have talked about a lot is uh, the floater coming back into vogue. You watch players shoot back in the day. They literally were just shooting floaters from everywhere. And, and it makes me wonder, um, the evolution of shooting is something that I want to like talk with you someday about like where this is going, where, where it could happen. I know you and me and Dave Dufour have texted about like no dip shooters like Batum. And, um, Did you see Kyrie the other night? Did he no dip catch shoot a Two- three? It's so I, I it's in a video I made about the game, but there's two no dip threes that he uses in that run, and I said actually when I was watching the game, the first one he busted out does it the rim the the net Kyle it's one of those shots that the net barely moves like you weren't sure if it was an air ball that kind of thing very and he satisfying. no was it one of those yeah, yeah. he he no dipped it. And that's when I knew something was up. I was like, wait a second, wait a second. You know you're hot when you just start busting out no-dip threes off the catch. Yeah. Clay, yeah. Clay is a no-dipper uh, at times. I know Well, Batum is hilariously no-dip at times. Clay should go full no-dip, I think. Yeah. Don't you think? <laughs> at, at that point, it almost just becomes, you're just like, <laughs> I want to see who can just like touch pass it to the rim, basically. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we're going to get to that point. Yeah. Chet did actually a pretty wild lob the other day. Uh, yesterday, I've tried to erase most of yesterday from my mind, but that one, that fragment is still there. He caught a lob and just kind of like tipped it in. Um, but no, I mean, uh, it's, this is a perfect this is a perfect example though because what if in ten years the no dip three is like standard and we're here judging these prospects based on our outdated ideas of how they should get into their shot and how they should we're jump gonna sound and, so old man we yeah. like load up and energy transfer and all this stuff and then <laughs> he had a, he had like, a one motion shot let's yeah. get you to bed grandpa <laughs> back in my day you had to jump to yeah you had to have core strength no um that's actually something i worked on a lot <laughs> Man, core strength. We, we, Jeez, Grandpa. We've, we've done it. We've done it. We've officially reached the point in the show where Kyle starts doing his cranky Southern old accent. You hang out with me enough. I'm not even drinking right now, and it came out. That shows you how, <laughs> no, I'm so drunk off of our friendship, Ben. No, I think um, this has been great. I, I always appreciate when you come on. and um, I love coming on here, man. Yeah, re- really enjoy it. Uh, if you want to support this show, patreon.com slash thinkingbasketball. We've got extra content we've got a community we've got Patre- patreon post shows we'll have a patreon post show with kyle today where we talk about all sorts of old college basketball <laughs> things like that Pat- patreon.com slash thinking basketball check that out that's the best way to directly support the show otherwise as always thanks for listening all the way to the end and i hope you are having a great day <laughs>